0: cougs house the houston cougars are coming off of their bye week ready to play someone on thursday that's kind of a familiar opponent at least to the head coach you are locked on cougs your daily podcast on the houston cougars part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Welcome to Locked On Cougs a Daily Podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach Parker Antreth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who can to step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way, you get the latest on Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to the YouTube channel. That's where you found it. It is so good to see you again. I remember to subscribe down below. We're doing a giveaway every 250 subscribers, and we are over 1600, heading towards that 1750 mark. So hit subscribe to help us get there and like and comment on the video to let us know that you are in the contest. Um, In honor of West West Virginia, they have any special food to them, do they? No. Uh, In honor of playing West Virginia this week, uh, tell us how many lines can you recite from memory of the song Country Road? Um, I think I've got two up yeah, too. Alright, so today's episode we're going to do some different previewing of the week uh, kind of, you know, this would typically be a time we would be talking about last weekend's game. However, with no game from last weekend, we're going to talk some more about bigger things happening with Houston Cougar football. A comment I made last week that stirred up some stuff in comment sections. Uh, talk about this game this week being predicted to be a fairly close game and then last but not least, because we did not have Cougars at the Dark on Saturday because there was no game to recap on saturday we'll talk some about what happened to the big 12 this weekend so first let's jump on in last week i made a comment about houston not having an offensive coordinator and how that was kind of on the more egregious side of the things that houston's done and there are several comments in the video afterwards saying elaborate on that expand on that etc and i you know i'm not saying i don't ever i, I read through the comments for the by and large um I Some of them are kind of long and I'll skim through them or whatever. Some of them get a lot of comments. I'll stop through them uh, as I can. But I thought it was interesting that people might not have clicked as to what I meant by that or what this strength would be to having a single offensive coordinator versus having the three-headed monster. So first, the system Houston's got is this three-headed monster. That is head coach Dan Hogerson, an offensive-minded guy, quarterback coach Mike Brachette, uh, coach Birch, Right, um, who is a young up and comer, right, but very young on coaching side or like young in his coaching career, I should say. I actually don't know his age off the top of my head. And then running game coordinators, Imaniagabe, who remember came from Tulane. That was the big spark up last year as they moved on for Brandon Williams and moved into the Immanagave era of running the football in Houston. Um, so they lost Shannon Dawson to Miami, who we should point out at Miami, had his own rough weekend. Uh, If you were paying attention, Dawson elected to run the ball instead of kneel the ball at the end of the Miami and Georgia Tech game. They ended up fumbling and then losing two plays later at the buzzer uh, at home to Georgia Tech. Um, Miami's had a strong year before that point this year, but I don't think it was necessarily because of the offensive play calling. We weren't exactly too worried about things when Shannon Dawson left, but we never replaced him. And the thing that's been very eye-opening to me is that Houston – in his absence, it's not that they missed his play calling or his innovation or his ideas. There seems to be no singular direction on how things go. Houston will run a you know, halfback dive with the lead blocker on one play and two plays later in the exact same formation have, do nothing to play off of that. right? Or they'll run four or five different plays that are kind of all different types of schemes or don't have any congruence or any connection to one another. Several plays in a row because it feels like a different person is in charge of each different thing. Immanagabi wants one thing in the run game, Dana Holgerson wants that one thing out of the pass game, and Mike Braschette has something different he wants out of the quarterback. If you have a single offensive coordinator, even one that you maybe don't feel so strongly about, you can kind of more easily tie things together. For instance, this is roughly, I think the Titan actually did something different, but what Houston did to get one of the passing touchdowns against Rice, right? They went what I would call a laser formation or a dead T to the left side. Uh, on the video audience, can see that on their screen right now. Then they had the trips, the three guys we have lined up on the right side. Uh, Just Manjack in the closest to the line of scrimmage, or closest to the tackle box. They had uh, Matthew Golden in the middle and then Sam Brown out wide. Running back, chipping off the edge and then releasing and they ran a simple, you know, seams concept. You had man jack down the middle to take away the safety, either the single high or in a cover three, take the middle, or in a cover two to take away the middle of the field and make those two safeties in the middle co- collapse, right? Take away safeties is what we call that middle spot. We also called a home run because what you see with the H up there for the home run is if the safeties don't collapse on it, that's a homer. Uh, the first read is the number two. That is Matthew Golden. Going on his little short cross or like skinny post guy over the middle because on the outside you have Sam Brown taking one in the corner. And if you have someone taking one the safe and someone taking in the corner, you should have a foot race with one of your fastest players. And that is Matthew Gold. Remember, this is his touchdown in the I think it's the second touchdown of the game. Maybe it's the first touchdown of the game. But anyway, um, early on in the scoring of things against Rice. Um, and he is the first option of this. He uses his speed very well. I have, in this instance, Michael Laughlin, the tight end coming underneath things for them number two read. I'm going to check down to the potential, you know, chipping out from the running back. Um, I also have that, like, on a pre-snap read, you might say just throw the fade to Sam Brown because the corner with him one-on-one is not the kind of athlete and keep up with him or what have you, right? But that's the basic thing, a very common concept that run out of this laser, what I would call, we, we call my playbooks, laser formation, dead to the left. But what you haven't seen is different things that play off of this. For instance... In the same formation, you're not seeing any motion game to get Sam Brown closer to the line scrimmage from the outside guy, any sort of thing that plays at that. And when we call it China around the outside. We have the one receiver on a low route, one receiver in deep corner. Um, motion to get into that. You still have Man Jack take with high safety. A to occupy the backside. Things kind of chip and check out of the running back. This would be the exact same formation, relatively speaking, and be a fairly similar congruent play. Manjag is still taking away the safety. Now you're just playing with the corner in a different way by sitting Matthew Golden over the top of him and Sam Brown underneath him and seeing if a linebacker or interior type can keep up running outwards with them, right? Um, The same kind of concept. You just have the exact same kind of motion you could theoretically have, and then have an RPO out of this where you have uh, Parker Jenkins running some sort of a zone play, basic zone play off zone blocking. You're making a zone read off the defensive end. As you can see there, with the green R1 read one defensive end. Um, and then after the motion, you have take away the high safety out of Sam Brown. Right, He motions across and just takes away the safety. And then you have uh, Matthew Golden ahead, running like a little 10-yard hitch or a 10-yard stick. And then uh, Jack runs a uh, little, I call it a whip route or the in-and-out kind of route. And then on the run, because you've theoretically done this RPO action with Donovan Smith. He's got options to hit Man Jack on the little arrow route or Matthew Golden. They've run something like this for uh, Man Jack before with little rub routes and stuff. Actually, looks a lot more like what I got drawn up next, but it wasn't at the same formation. There's no congruence to how these things work because you can get to the exact same kind of thing in the same formation. When you want to get really complicated with it. Now, this is one of my more favorite things that they did with Clayton, some, um, but a little bit different pass pattern off the backside. So, this is just quarterback power with an extra blocker on it. And the way it works with quarterback power is he is reading, the first read being the linebacker level, if the linebacker is flowing to the power, he wheels back to throw. The linebacker is popping out to cover the out route from Joseph Manjack. He is running the power because they have half or hat everywhere else in the box. Uh, the nice thing about this is with the quarterback being a running threat like uh, Donovan Smith is, or like Clayton Tune could have been more a year ago, you actually get an extra blocker around because the running back becomes the extra blocker as you're pulling the right side of the line scrimmage around. Um, if you will back throw because the linebacker dives down into the box there as his potential, you then have the top safety coming down. And in that, you're reading a slant, slant, arrow concept, right? Just a quick little whip route or, or arrow route out of Man Jack and then Golden and Sam Brown running slants. And that safety has to be wrong. He either plays the run and then you go over the top of both of them to Golden, or he falls down underneath and takes away Golden, which means there's no one, like, can't make it all the way down to cover up Man. Excuse me, can't cover up Man Jack. Uh, Obviously, the backside there with Sam Brown, kind of awkward to have your, like, league-leading receiver in yards being a decoy route, but that's the way that works. And I say I have to say that that's a quick series of plays that any offensive coordinator would put together. And Dana would have if he were the offensive coordinator. Burchett would have if he was the offensive coordinator. Yagab would have if the offensive coordinator. Frankly, Dekeel Shorts would have if he was the offensive coordinator. But when you have coordination, when you have a single person in charge, then suddenly you have a bunch of options off of things that look similar, keeping the defense on their toes, things that go together, right? You're not running a fourth down halfback dive when you've done nothing to set up that halfback dive. You've been working towards that moment with some sort of congruence over the course of the game. It's not necessarily about the quality of play caller in this instance, as much as it's about having a single person voice thought process. I understand that we all anticipated, myself included, full disclosure, I anticipated Dana being that voice, that thought process, etc., And it seems like more and more he's involved. And I think he's been more involved since the Rice game. I think he was very involved in parts of the tech game, certain drives of the tech game. But I don't think there's any doubt that he is not the sole voice anymore. Right? We've heard players comment that Burchette has their their ear in play calling after the fact and stuff like that. And so I I think what they're missing here is the congruence, the continuity, the way things flow together. By simply having one guy deciding things, even if it's maybe not the guy that's your first pick. Now, one thing that ought to be your first pick, if you're looking for something to drink on these days, it's like it's cooling down a little bit, but it's still not cold. That is athletic brewing. Because athletic brewing companies completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. They're well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. Their brews are great tasting and award-winning and beat out Bull strength beers and global competitions that brew over 50 styles of craft non-alcoholic beer including ipas golden sours and more they're constantly releasing limited edition experimental styles to add their variety like stuff for this fall go check them out they're quote fit for all time so you can drink anytime anywhere anywhere, anyplace make any activity even more enjoyable You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your order. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Check out for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. All right. Now, I said in the second segment talk some about this close game that they are predicting to be on the way. Um, this is not a FanDuel episode, that we are a FanDuel show. FanDuel has this game as a three-and-a-half-point uh, West Virginia game, like West Virginia at minus three-and-a-half. And I think it's interesting when you look at these two teams that people are reading this like it might be a close game. I mean, Houston has played just two Big 12 Conference games this year. Against TCU and Texas Tech. And West Virginia has played both of those teams as well and beaten both of those teams. Um, now, admittedly, part of that was they played uh, West Virginia. Sorry, West Virginia played uh, TCU, a close game came down the wire. Texas Tech, they won a low scoring game and a fairly ugly atmosphere, a lot of like bad weather and that kind of stuff. And I think we're seeing those games as more like fluky, and that West Virginia is going to be more like the team that they predicted at the start of the season would be—you know, bottom of the conference. One thing is to be fair, outside of Duquesne, in which they they hung fifty-six points, West Virginia has won ugly every game they've won. West Virginia is four and one on the year, and each of their four wins—seventeen to six against Pittsburgh, twenty to thirteen against Tech, twenty-four to twenty-one against TCU—each of those four wins has for sure been ugly further they're having this at a three and a half point game and imagine in large part because they don't expect it being the kind of game with a whole bunch of possessions west virginia has a run first heavy offense that obviously eats away at clock um we've also seen houston struggle score in their own right uh you know no offense touchdown against tcu no second half touchdown against tech just one first half touchdown against rice whatever that's worth right. Um, a lot of issues in their own, right. As far as scoring the football and they have the over under set at 52 and a half as we record this. And so that's imagining a game of like 28 to 24, right. That's just on the oversight of that. Right. And so, right. Am I going to Matt there? Um, if you're just over that 52 and a half mark, you're like, okay, 28, 24 couple touchdowns, maybe a field goal here, like not a crazy high scoring game. Um, I just think it's interesting that that's where they have this going. But I do think that the encouraging thing for Houston is after a bye week or a get right week or a week to prepare and fix things in your own locker room, fix things in your own process, fix things on your own roster, even depth chart things, et cetera, get guys healthy, get guys ready to right roll. You're playing a team that the nation at least thinks you can play close and competitively um, for what it's worth. Houston, so Houston plays West Virginia this week, and I think that's something that we can all say, like, okay, obviously, it'd be nice to beat West Virginia, they are currently sitting tied for, you know, first place in the conference, or whatever, I maybe, I guess, technically, they're second on tiebreaker, because they're non-conference records on the same as Oklahoma's, but what have you, right, um, Houston plays West Virginia, then they host Texas, uh, UT Austin comes down on the 21st, and then they have to go all the way to Manhattan, Kansas. But after they have what looks like a very winnable series of games in Baylor, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, and Central Florida, each of those being teams that has lost games that I would anticipate are games Houston like against teams Houston could have beat, right? Like Baylor lost to Texas State. Texas State's fine, but I would pick Houston in that game, right? Oklahoma State lost to South Alabama. They're fine, but I would pick Houston against South Alabama, right? And so in looking at the, all those different things – I guess what I'm saying here is that I would pick Houston against some of the teams that being those teams and that if they can continue to work the ship in the right direction by the start of November. November could be the kind of month that really gets this thing moving in the right direction into the season on a high note. And it's encouraging to see that the nation feels like this could be another one of those weeks. At least that's how I'm reading this. I do think there's an added amount of pressure here because Dana Holger is our head coach. He obviously famously left West Virginia uh, before coming to Houston, commenting things like he can't win with those kids. It was about coming to a place where he could recruit kids like the University of Houston. And then West Virginia being a roster full of, I mean, both sets of trenches are kids all from West Virginia. They're going to have some kind of way about how they feel coming into this game. And I can only imagine kind of added pressure that that fairly or unfairly puts on our kids going into this week, right? But with that said, it does look like um, they've got this as a game that Houston has a real shot in. What it's worth against the spread, Houston's been eh, so-so. They actually weren't favored against UTSA. UTSA was favored by a single point in that game, so Houston beat the spread in that one. Houston was supposed to beat Rice. They did not. Lost against the spread in that one. Um, TCU and Tech were both supposed to be closer than they were. So Houston didn't beat the spread in that one, but Houston beat Sam Houston by more than they were supposed to. So Houston beat the spread in that one. So, like Houston's had a kind of run in the mill 50-50 season with spreads. Um, and frankly, if anything, if you're flipping a coin every time, this one's supposed to be tailed, right? This one's supposed to be the other side of that coin. And so a three and a half-point game can't get a whole lot closer than that. It's nearly a pick'em. Um, we'll see how that goes. We're gonna unveil it over the week. We're gonna talk about a lot more this week. Tomorrow's episode is gonna be looking at Three key matchups to keep an eye on. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. One of them is in the trenches. Uh, t- uh, that's Tuesday. Wednesday's episode is going to be looking at the three keys to victory. So different than the ways to keep like matchups, uh, match to keep an eye on, right? Wednesday's episode is going to be all about the things that the team has to do to win this game. And I think that there are very tangible things they can do to win this football game. Uh, we'll talk more about it on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we've got a guest, uh, one of my buddies over at West Virginia, what does West Virginia coverage? I love Kuz. If you're if you're a person that likes following other teams' content as we lead up to them, Kuz does a great job. All things West Virginia. He'll be on Thursday's episode to preview the game. And then Friday, Cougars After Dark is actually gonna be live after the game. So Friday's episode Friday's episode is gonna be Cougars After Dark, wrapping up the game entirely. Still I'm up in the air. If we're gonna do a Cougars After Dark on Saturday after Big 12 play, it's a not a bye week, but it kind of feels like one. We'll see what happens on Saturday, but that's the outline for this week. Lots of fun things to come this week and lots of key, uh, we'll say, moving parts and things like that as we get ready for what is a short week in West Virginia. But speaking of moving parts and things like that, let's talk a little bit about keeping the parts in your moving piece moving that is passion drive and patience those are the things that bring home the winning trophy and what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers to roof racks to exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for with ebay motors and ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need and the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into MVP and bring home that win to your ride or die live at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusion apply, eBay Motors, eBay guarantee fit, only available to US customers. All right, so in not having a cruise after dark in the bye week, we missed the time where you and I normally talk about what happened in the Big 12. And frankly, it was kind of a crazy week in the big 12 and conference that for whatever you think about the talent in the conference, uh, as someone new to it, like we are, it does feel like there's some cannibalism happening across the conference for sure. Like one of my favorites in the conference to potentially win it out. Right. Definitely. My like non Homer picked win it out, right. Uh, was Kansas state. Kansas state has now lost a second game, uh, on the season, the first Big 12 game, I guess because Missouri was a non-commerce game, they dropped one to Oklahoma State. Yes, this same Oklahoma State that lost to South Alabama, then beat Kansas State 29 to 21 in Stillwater. Um lots to break down from that one, but I do think as we get closer to the Kansas State game, looking at what Oklahoma State did to take advantage. I don't think it's entirely impossible, but Houston can't follow us on the same uh, concepts. Part of it was, though, and honestly, a raucous crowd there in Stillwater. Um, Houston goes to Kansas State on the roads. So we can't mimic that, um, but it lo- did look like Kansas State got a little rattled by the road environment on yes. Friday night. Uh, on Saturday, you had Kansas beat the Brakes off of Central Florida, 51-22. to um, Really interesting to see Jalen Daniels look back like himself. The Kansas offense humming with him in the uh, taking the snaps. It really did look like the same kind of way Kansas beat Houston just last season. If anything, I know Clayton Tune was on that team. I know Tank Dell was on that team. I know those two guys are not on this current Houston team. But if anything, I'd almost argue that Houston played Kansas better last year than Central Florida is playing Kansas this year. Um, interestingly enough, it was also announced this weekend that Central Florida is extending Gus Malzahn's contract um, after an 0-3 start in Big 12 play. Um, so you know we've heard a lot about how the step up to the big leagues and the depth and the problems and the this and the that. But so far the only newcomer to the big 12 with a win against a big 12 team is BYU who coincidentally beat Cincinnati also new to the big 12. I say that to say, as I look at this, there may be more validity to that than we wanted to. We'll break that down after the season's over. We have a bigger sample size, but Central Florida sees what's happening as extending their coach. We're having all kinds of conversations about ours, and they're extending Gus Malzahn, leading them into this 0-3 starting Big 12 play. Kansas, again, beat the brakes off them. Texas Tech beat the brakes off of Baylor. Baylor is struggling, floundering. They lost the first. Or sorry, they lost the last four games of last season, it sits two and four on this season and one and two in big 12 play tech beat them 39 to 14 in Waco. Uh, that's a rivalry game that tech won in Waco. Um, honestly, and we'll talk more about this before Houston plays Baylor as well. This is the kind of game that made me feel like Houston can beat Baylor. Um, Baylor looked very gettable. Aranda looked frankly a little bit in and over his, in over in, in over his head, out over his skis. I got stuck in the middle there, um, but honestly did look like he had some trouble and for what it's worth, Tech got out early. Again, they were up 17 to 3 at halftime. And it looked like to me Baylor stands emptied by halftime. Um, that could be a key thing in Houston starting strong and fast, kind of like they did against Tech, frankly, um, and coming out against Baylor kind of punching them in the mouth. Waco has shown they lead. And I know that that's not necessarily something to hang your hat on. And I don't know. I mean, you can go to the, what's the is Magnolia where Chip and Joanne have their stuff. I don't know what else to do, it's to do in Waco. So, anyway, that's what they So, that would be the thing that I guess you could leave to go do in Waco but i do think that looks like an increasingly more gettable game the more times you see other big 12 teams and texas state's the world take it to them right um tcu iowa state was a fun game or i thought it was a fun game um it was 10 to 7 at halftime iowa state opened up a big third quarter and did knock off tcu in the end um but that was a fun game i thought to watch iowa state plays an interesting brand of football and i'm frankly not so upset we don't have to go play at their place this season um, because they look pretty good at home, looks a pretty crazy home crowd. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we have to build up our own <laughs> our own program a little bit for him to go to that that long road trip that looks difficult and challenging. But the game of the weekend for the Big 12, the game everyone's talking about this Monday morning in the Big 12 was number three Oklahoma, or number three Texas losing to number 12 Oklahoma. Um, I guess those rankings have frankly almost flip flopped since the outcome of this game. Um, much like Baylor much like uh, Kansas and Central Florida, there are aspects of this game that made me think like Texas is very beatable. For instance, they had a lot of trouble with Dylan Gabriel and his legs, right? Uh, Texas had trouble accounting for the running quarterback. We also know when watching Donald Smith film from last year, they had trouble with Donna Smith as a runner last year. Um, we also saw because of those troubles in Dealing with the running quarterback, they had to go some not so sound defenses that left guys open in the end zone. Legitimately, like a guy fell down last play of the game, Um, last offensive play for Oklahoma in the game, I should say. Um, I also thought Texas played it way too safe for the course of this game. Um, Of course, this game, yeah, that was bad. Um, But they like played for the field goal and their play calling down the stretch to take a three point lead but then also played prevent defense that allowed Oklahoma to get into field goal range. And they were totally comfortable with giving me a field goal to play for the tie to go to overtime, all kinds of things that were just like cowardly coaching to me out of the school in Austin. And frankly led to them ultimately losing to Oklahoma. Um, the scary, the only thing that scared me about this game, frankly, as a Houston fan having to play Texas later is not that they have talent. We, you and I both know they have talent. It's that I don't with a bye week for Texas the week this week and us playing them their very next game on the 21st. I almost feel like, you know, highly talented teams don't typically lose a couple in a row. The ones that do are typically wearing burnt orange, right? So I get why that's a little bit different. Um, but highly talented teams don't like to get embarrassed on national TV twice in a row. They'll tip they'll probably be coming out pretty sharp for the Houston game. My thing i maintained all season long is Texas is historic for losing games. You're not supposed to lose. They always have more talent on paper and they don't always win. I don't think Oklahoma was an instance like that. I don't think Texas goes undefeated the rest of the way either. Right. Um, I do think it's kind of awkward to have to play them next <laughs> um, because again, I, I don't know if the loss is going to come twice in a row, but I do think they're the kind of school kind of t- program that will typically overlook something like Houston. And as we just saw, you know, say what you want about Dylan Gabriel versus Dante, uh, say what you want about Dylan Gabriel, and say, uh, Don Smith. But I do think that the comparative element there is that they can hurt you in the same way. And Texas showed again, they can very much get hurt in that way. Now I know that there's a bunch of other non Houston related slants, to that game and Sarkeesian and that rivalry and all kinds of so on and so on. And for what it's worth, I love that your mark was not there. Um, Sankey, as the SEC commissioner, said he would be there. And Big 12 commissioner Brett Yormark said, well, I'm not. They don't want to be here. Why am I going to go watch that one? I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that for this conference. And frankly, I love that people are putting targets on Texas and Oklahoma's back to beat them up on their way out the conference. Um, I say that to say that it was an encouraging weekend that Houston could not lose on uh, of Big 12 football. And we'll talk more about how each of those games plays into Houston playing those teams as we get down the road and playing them. But this week, again, all West Virginia. Tuesday, key matchups. Wednesday, things you got to do to win. Thursday, guest appearance from Coos from West Virginia. And then Friday is going to be breaking it all down post game. So lots of things going on here at Locked on Coos. Make sure you subscribe, download, and let us know that you're here. Comment, tell us what you think. Tell us what you think about West Virginia and that song, Country Road. All kinds of things to help out the podcast. Remember, Locked on Coos is the primary Locked on Podcast Network. That means your team every day. Go Coos.